the world often has distorted views of God's justice and mercy. For those who are not people of faith, uh, there can be some very distorted understandings around those things. Uh, Sometimes the world uh, may think of God as uh, this kind of vengeful, wrathful God that's waiting for someone to step out of line, and once someone stepped out of line enough, then he's, he's ready to zap them. Uh, or the world on the other side can often also think, well, surely God's not going to hold me accountable, uh, you know, to, to all the things that he commands. Surely he doesn't really care. If I'm not really hurting someone, then I doubt that he cares much about what I'm doing. On the other side of things, for people of faith, uh, Sometimes we are wondering, God, you say you care about justice, but sometimes it doesn't seem like justice is happening, uh, especially if you've been wronged. And, you know, some of us have endured harmful, harmful things from others. Uh, and we may wonder, like, God, do you not care about that? Like, why does it seem like justice isn't taking place here uh, on the mercy side sometimes even as people of faith we may have some distorted views and start to wonder like is I know God says he will be merciful towards me but is there a possibility that he might withhold his mercy from me have I done something that would cause him to say okay no more uh, for them, Scripture teaches a, a balanced view and a helpful view for us concerning both justice and mercy. And we're going to see this in our text today. Uh, justice and mercy are things we can be sure of from God. Uh, they are his nature. It's who he is. And so our sermon is titled, The God of Justice and Mercy. Turn with me to Luke 18 as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 for us. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God... Or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Judge says, will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant justice to them. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. People were bringing infants to him so that he might touch them, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We confess it is true again today and we ask Holy Spirit, that you work in our hearts and minds. Help us believe. Help us respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in this text is our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of justice. The first eight verses of Luke 18, let's look at them again. Uh, We have a parable Uh, that Jesus is going to use uh, to teach them. Now, it's important that we remember this is tied to what we saw last week in the text. Uh, Chapter 17 ends with Jesus talking about his second coming and the judgment that will come. And so this instruction about prayer is tied to that. So verses 1 through 8 again, Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Our God is a God of justice. Now we've seen previously, there are some parables that when we read them, we wonder, what in the world is he talking about? What, this, is, this seems very odd. And here, through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke actually tells us up front. Here's why Jesus told the parable. So we don't have to wonder, what's he talking about here? In verse 1, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. So remember, connected to what he was talking about in the last passage, Jesus' second coming, Jesus coming and bringing judgment, Jesus' justice that he's going to reign with. And so the instruction on praying always and not giving up is tied to this. It is telling his followers, telling his disciples, pray about Jesus' second coming. Pray that God would set things right. 
as you walk through this life that is, that is so broken, and you wonder, why is it this way? Why did that happen? Why is this going on in our world? Pray for God's justice. Pray for God to send Jesus back to set things right again. Verse 2 through 5, we have the parable. So verse 1 tells us this is why. You're supposed to pray always and not give up. Verse 2 through 5, we have the parable of a worldly judge, a judge that has no fear of God, that does not respect people, does not care about people. And the story goes that a widow keeps going to him and asking for justice. Uh, We don't know the context of the case, Uh, Potentially, there's some type of financial issue, but whatever the case, there is an issue where this widow has been harmed by another, who she calls her adversary. And she is asking the judge, would you do something about this? Would you set things right? Would you make things right again because of what has happened here And initially, the judge, because he is an ungodly judge, a a judge that doesn't fear God, doesn't care about other people, he does nothing about it. He is opposite of how our God is. See, God cares for people who are in need. God cares about justice. God cares to make things right again. That's part of why he sent his son, is to be able to do that. And in the story, the judge says finally to himself, you know what, I'm tired of being pestered by this woman. She won't leave me alone. She keeps coming and saying, do something about this. And even though I don't care about what God thinks, and even though I don't care about what other people think about me, I would rather not have to deal with this anymore. I'm going to grant her justice. And so he does. He finally caves to her constant request. Now, it's important that we understand uh, what this story is talking about uh, and that we don't mix up what's trying to be taught here about the need for prayer. Uh, Jesus is not saying, okay, so the way to get something from God is just keep bugging him about it. Right, Because it almost seems that way, because that's what happens in this story with this parable. Uh, And Jesus is not saying, okay, just keep begging him, keep bugging him, and finally he's going to say, I'm tired of dealing with David, I'm just going to let him have whatever it is he's asking for. That's not what's happening. What this parable is intended to do is make a from the least to the greatest argument. So he's saying, okay, look at this ungodly judge who cares nothing about people, he eventually is going to give justice. right? He eventually will set things right. So that's the least of the argument. And so the point is, okay, so if an ungodly judge who doesn't really care about people is going to grant justice, can't God's children trust that He's going to grant justice? We have a good God. 
We have a God who is faithful. We have a God who cares about us, cares about the circumstances that we are in. And so Jesus' point in using this is showing two extremes. If this horrible judge would be willing to grant justice, we can be sure as his children that God is going to grant justice to us. He's going to bring justice to this world. He's going to set things the way that they should be. And remember, this is tied to the message of Jesus' second coming, right? When he returns, he's going to grant justice swiftly. Sometimes we look at the brokenness of the world and it's like, There's a lot of horrible things happening and nothing, it doesn't seem like justice is coming. But when Christ returns, there will be swift justice. And there's a promise that that will take place. And so Jesus is telling his people, his followers, keep praying, keep trusting God. And he's going to make things right again. In Isaiah chapter 42, we have a passage that is about the the mission of the servant. This is my servant. 42 verse 1. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. In Isaiah, when the language is used about the servant, the servant to come, those are messianic prophecies. They are prophecies about the coming Messiah. They are prophecies that are talking about what Jesus was going to do. Hundreds of years before Christ was born, God, through Isaiah, made this prophecy that He is sending His servant. He is going to send the promised one. And the promised one is going to set things right again. He's going to bring justice. In verse 3, He's not going to break those who are wounded. He's not going to put out the smoldering wick. He's going to restore things to the way they should be. He's going to mend the bruised. He's going to rekindle the flame that has been going out. That's what the Messiah is going to do. It's a promise to make things right again, to restore things. And so when Jesus, is, when Jesus returns, he's going to establish justice, perfect justice. He's going to, in the words of Sam, from the Lord of the Rings, make everything sad come untrue. He's going to turn the world right side up again. Justice will prevail. And praise God for that. Because we look around at this broken world and even in our own hearts we know things aren't the way they should be. And we have a promise that they won't always be this way. Because 
God is a God of justice, and he promises when Christ returns, he's going to restore things. He's going to bring justice. So what do we do while we wait? Well, Luke told us in verse 1 of the chapter, pray always and don't give up. While we're in this broken world, And we're looking out at all of the mess that we can see on the news, on our streets. We keep praying and we keep holding on to God and trusting He's going to make it right again one day. He's going to restore things the way they should be one day. And so let's be a people that prays faithfully, holding on to the hope that Jesus is coming back and he's going to set things right again. The second truth from Luke 18 is this. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. Verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, was standing and praying like, I'm sorry, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." So again, in verse 9, we get a clarifier up front of why Jesus is speaking these words. Uh, Who's he talking to and why? He's speaking to the self-righteous. He's speaking to the ones who say, I've really got it together, right? I'm doing a really good job. Uh, The ones who felt like they were good enough and didn't even need God's mercy. They've earned it, right? Anything that God has for them, they've earned it by being so faithful. Their faith was a was a works-based faith. The the salvation, the mercy of God, the blessings of God are because they've earned it and in their minds they're crushing it, right? I I'm really killing it this week at being faithful to God. That's who Jesus is speaking these words to. And on top of that, that self-righteousness often is paired. We see it still today with, uh, with a comparison towards others. Like, look at all these other people. They're not anywhere near as faithful as I am. They aren't good enough. And so in verse 10 through 12, we, we see this next parable is uh, there's two people that are going up to pray at the temple, uh, likely to offer sacrifices. There's a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisees are the ones who trusted in themselves for their righteousness. They, they had perfected 
following the law. They had perfected making themselves look right. In their minds, they were righteous and didn't need any mercy from God because they've earned it. And not only that, they are much better than everyone else. And so the Pharisee makes that clear in his prayer. His prayer is about him, but it's a prayer that's about how great he is. Right? He's speaking to Almighty God. And he's saying, God, thank you. And I'm such a good guy. Like, I'm really doing a great job. And I'm not like any of these other people. All these sinners. I'm not like them at all. And I'm certainly not like this tax collector that's here with me. Thank you that I'm so great. And then he goes on to say that he fasts twice a week. Uh, that was double what was a requirement of the Pharisees. The Pharisees required a weekly fast. He said, I fast two times as much. And I give faithfully to you, God. Thank you that I'm that kind of person. And so the, the Pharisee uh, is holding on to his own righteousness uh, and comparing himself to everybody else. He's trusting in his works, his ability to be made right with God. And then verse 13 and 14, we have the other person in the story, the tax collector. The tax collector uh, knew in his heart he didn't even deserve to approach God. He knew he was a sinner. Uh, and it says he stood off at a distance he didn't even feel like he could come close. And as a sign of regret for who he is, he stands and beats his chest, won't look up to heaven, and is praying, God, please have mercy on me. I've got nothing to offer to you. I need your mercy. He knows that he deserves God's wrath because he's a sinner and he knows it. And he's begging for God's mercy. Mercy being a withholding of what someone deserves. He knows, I've earned God's wrath. God, please don't pour out your wrath on me. Please have mercy on me. The tax collector in this story, Jesus ends the parable saying, that's the one who left justified. That's the one who left being made right with God. Not the one who thought he was so good, but the one who knew, I've got nothing to offer God, and I need his forgiveness. I need his mercy. He left receiving an overflow of God's mercy. He was made right, while the Pharisee was not. Even the Pharisees, like all the things that he had done, all the ways he had been faithful to following the law, all the giving that he had done, all the fasting that he had done, none of those things made him right with God because he thought, I don't need a Savior. I don't need God's mercy. Exalting yourself like the Pharisee does. Jesus ends this parable saying, you'll be humbled 
If you go throughout this life thinking, I'm really, really good and faithful. If you're trusting on your own ability to be made right with God, and if you're proud of your accomplishments, Jesus says those people will be humbled. But the person who humbles himself, the person who's willing to to admit, I don't deserve this, but God, would you please have mercy on me? The text is clear. That person will be made right with God, right? He is a God of mercy. He won't withhold his mercy from those who admit their need. He'll actually pour it out over and over and over again on us if we'll just admit our need. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. I'm going to read it from the ESV. I love the readability of the Christian standard, but there's a couple of texts that I've, I've learned in other versions that I love the wording. And so the ESV says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love is steadfast. His mercies never come to an end. There's a, for His people, for people who have cried out for His mercy, who have admitted, God, I'm a sinner in need of Your mercy. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God will constantly pour out mercy for us. Ephesians 2, we don't have this up there because we looked at it last week, but, but God who is rich in mercy, right? He's rich in mercy towards His children. He lavishes His love on us if we humble ourselves, if we admit, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So, if you have not trusted in Christ, if you've lived your life thinking, I'm pretty good compared to other people, this is a call to become like the tax collector and admit your need for a Savior. Admit that you're a sinner. And for the church, let's stop trying to prove that we're good enough. Now, sometimes we're good at saying the right words, like, oh, I know I can't earn anything from God. Uh, It's all His grace and mercy. I know that. But sometimes our hearts, we still try to live and prove that, yeah, but I'm really good. And we certainly play the comparison game with other people. When we play our sin and think, well, but I'm not like them, right? So let's stop trying to prove that we're good enough. Let's stop trying to earn God's mercy. Let's remember that what we bring into our relationship with God is our need. And that's it. It's just our great need. The only thing that I've brought into this is, is my sin. I'm a sinner. And I need God's mercy. And if we humble ourselves and admit our sin and ask for mercy, God's going to lavish it. On us. Now, as we've heard of the justice that God promises, 
when he sends Jesus back. And as we've uh, been reminded on the, the importance of humility and recognizing our own sin and our need for God's mercy, then how do we respond to that? What are, what are we supposed to do concerning this? And the answer is this. Trust him. Trust God. Right? And receive his mercy. Hold on to God and receive the mercy that he has for us. And so to make this point, we have the final three verses of this section. And these three verses about the children coming to God tie to that story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 15 through 17, people were bringing infants to him so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So people bringing their infants, the word that's used there is infants. Occasionally, uh, it's been used for toddlers. But the, the word here is people were bringing their infants to Jesus and asking him to put his hands on them. Uh, in the, I think it's in Mark. It's in one of the other gospel accounts about the people bringing their children to Jesus. It says, so that he will bless them. Right? So their, their purpose in bringing their babies to Jesus is that he might lay his hands on them and say a blessing over them. And the disciples see this and they rebuke the parents. Don't waste Jesus' time. Don't bring your infant to Jesus. He's got important things to deal with. He's got demons to cast out. He's got sick people that need healed. He's, he's trying to set this world right again. Why are you wasting his time with your infant? And Jesus says, don't stop them. Right? Don't hold back the children from me. In the other gospel accounts, it says he was angry with his disciples or he was indignant with his disciples don't you dare stop them from bringing their babies to me he tells his disciples the kingdom of god actually belongs to these children these babies the kingdom of god belongs to them Really? Jesus? They have nothing to offer you. They've done nothing for you. How can you say that this baby is the one who will receive the kingdom of God? And to take it further, Jesus then says, if you... Speaking to his disciples, speaking to the people who were there, if you don't receive the kingdom like one of these babies, you're not going to enter it. Remember the story before this, the parable of the 
Pharisee and the tax collector, only one of them was justified. Only one of them is going to receive the blessing from God, receive uh, justification and be made right with God. The one who thought they had so much to offer to God. I've done all these things. Thank you that I'm not like all those horrible people. and I'm such a good guy. The, the guys that are trusting in their righteousness were not going to receive justification. But the ones who just realized, I've got nothing to offer. I need God's mercy. Those who humble themselves like that will receive justification will receive the kingdom and so jesus trying to make that point with this blessing of the children saying if you're going to receive salvation if you're going to receive forgiveness if you're going to be brought into the kingdom of god it's not going to be because of anything you've done it's not going to be your accomplishments it's going to be because you realize I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. An infant can only trust, can only just trust that they're going to receive what they need. They can't earn anything, right? They're fully dependent on their parents to care for them, to provide for them, to give them everything that they need. And he says, that's how you're brought into the kingdom of God. Don't trust, on your, don't trust yourselves. Just trust God. Just cling to God. Just depend on God. And if you'll do that, you'll be made right with God. If you'll do that, you'll be given the kingdom. You'll receive the blessings that God has for you. Our God promises justice. He promises to make things right in this world. And He promises that those who depend on Him for mercy, that they will receive it in full. Scripture teaches that we are all sinners. And so, the only way for us to be made right with God is to come to Jesus and believe in Him. And if we would just trust Him, then we'll be forgiven. If we quit trying to feel like, well, I've, I've done a lot of good things in my life, or I'm not like some of these really bad people in life, so surely God will have mercy on me. If we'll stop thinking of it like that and just recognize, I'm a sinner that needs a Savior, God's Word says that you'll receive a Savior. He's provided it in His Son. Jesus died for our sins. And we can't do anything to earn the forgiveness that comes from that. So if you're here today and that's new to you, please know your accomplishments will not make you right with God. How much you give to the church or to organizations will not make you right with God. How many religious practices you go through will not ever make you right with God. 
But God in his mercy has provided a savior. And if you would believe in him, you will receive forgiveness. And so if you want to talk more about that, I would love to be able to share the good news of the gospel with you about that. Schedule time after the service to meet with me. Church, for us, let's keep praying, right? Remember, that's what Luke told us in verse 1. The reason for that first parable was so that we would pray always and that we wouldn't give up. No matter what we're facing, no matter how hard this world gets, no matter how broken things feel, pray always and don't give up. So let's keep praying for God to make things right and let's hold on to the promise that He is going to make things right again. He will provide justice. And let's trust that He's going to do that when Jesus returns. And in addition to that, let's fight the urge to play the comparison game. We still, in our sinful hearts, that's a temptation for us to feel like, I'm doing a pretty good job. Like, I know a lot of people here that don't serve like I do. I know a lot of people that don't uh, help out like I do. Or we certainly play it with those on the outside. Like, so let's fight the urge to be like the Pharisee, and instead let's recognize the only thing that the only reason that I've been made right with God is because God is a merciful God. Uh, and He has poured out His mercy on me. It's not because of who I am, but it's because of who He is. Let's pray. God, thank You that You are a God of justice and mercy. Thank You for the promise that you will bring justice. You will make things right again. That you will put things the way they are intended to be when Jesus returns. Help us believe that. And help us cling to you, God. And cling to Jesus as our Savior for the mercy that you give us. Help us remember that it's not because we've earned it, but because you're a good and merciful God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.